I'm, I'm really speaking about all of humanity, you know, without exception of anybody, you know. And I, I know that um, a lot of the content in the songs is very heavy, you know, but uh, see, fantasy is what people want, but reality is what they need. And I've just retired from the fantasy part because I realized that. Uh, And fail. The service is the worship. So let the will of the Most High prevail. When you do it with all your heart and prosper, do it with just a part and fail. The service is the worship. So let the will of the Most High prevail. The harvest is plenty, the fruits are ripe and drop. Too many distracted by the rat race to the top. Uh, but I and I optimistic. Said John, don't make no mistake. Confident in all we do and say. Cause I and I try to do it the most highway. When we do it with all our heart and prosper. Just a part and fail The service is the worship So let the will of the Most High prevail When you do it with all your heart and prosper Do it with just a part and fail The service is the worship So let the will of the Most High prevail Some people want destruction of their enemies so that is when they activate Orchestrated vicious strategy Motivated by hate The soul is laying wait A generation of vipers Plotting to constrict the flow So I and I must know When to let go And just do it with all your heart and prosper just a part and fail The service is the worship So let the will of the Most High prevail When you do it with all your heart and prosper Do it with just a part and fail The service is the worship So let the will of the Most High prevail All I heart, I prosper Do it with just 
I am the earth and water, I am the full moon, I am the first mother, the universal womb. They call me sacred lotus, wisdom of the can supreme, the mothership that brought the first terrestrial being. I come from distant planets, and now I have returned. I am the great goddess, come to you in human form. Mysterious by nature, I hold my magic wand, cast my Kyrie shells and read them in the dirt I stand on. My power is electric, you feel it in my gaze. I will live on when others perish in the end of days. They call it I mortal, I move through space portals. My body turns to dust, I trade it for a better model. I am the shrine keeper, civilization teacher. I am the sun's reflection and the divine receiver. I birthed the last giants, now call the juggernauts. When I designed the trees, I made the roots from my Nazi locks. I am the fertile ground, and I am heaven's skies. I'm made of dark matter and full of pure light. I'm just a tiny proton inside the smallest atom. I am a black hole, pulling stars inside my chasm. You think you know me, but my name eludes you well. I am your consciousness, and I'm your dream spell. I am but all things, yet I am none at all. Enemies fear me, but mostly they just respect and awe. Something, as we say, I'm compelled by a spiritual force that I cannot resist. Besides me, I share Kankifaz Badashe. Which means? Which means a spiritual force that I cannot resist. I am the earth and water, I am the full moon, I am the first mother, the universal womb. They call me sacred lotus, wisdom of the kind supreme, the mothership that brought the first terrestrial being. I come from distant planets, and now I have returned. I am the great goddess, come to you in human form. Mysterious by nature, I hold my magic wand, cast my carry shells and read them in the dirt I stand on. My power is electric, you feel it in my gaze. I will live 
call it immortal. I move through space portals. My body turns to dust. I trade it for a better model. I am the shrine keeper, civilization teacher. I am the sun's reflection and the divine receiver. I birthed the last giants. Now call the juggernauts. When I designed the trees, I made the roots from my Nazi locks. I am the fertile ground and I am heaven's skies. I'm made of dark matter and full of pure light. I'm just a tiny proton inside the smallest atom. I am a black hole pulling stars inside my chasm. You think you know me, but my name eludes you well. I am your consciousness and I'm your dream spell. I am but all things, yet I am none at all. Enemies fear me, but mostly they just respect it all. They always thought Africa was something dark and mysterious because of lack of knowledge. If you want to go to Africa, go back to Africa. You know, all those kind of negative things that try to make you really feel bad, but, you know, you just show their own ignorance. Because I feel good about my Africanism. Joyful exaltations and greetings to those who liberate themselves. Welcome to Women Wednesday. I'm your host, Mariama Tanay. Blessings, greetings, and love to all within the listening ear. Tonight's theme is Ruminations on Race, Part 2. 
We're going to start off in the praise up, as there is nothing new under the sun that the Most High has not already addressed. Starting off in the King James Bible, Genesis 11, 7-8. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Psalm 119.32 And I will run the way of thy commandments. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. 1 Corinthians 9.26 I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Philippians 3.12 Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And Proverbs 22.2 The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The rich and the poor meet together as the Lord is the maker of them all. Galatians 5.7 Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Who hindered you? And John 4, 16, 21. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we. In this world, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen. How can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. And Philippians three thirteen fourteen, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Acts 10.28 And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an awful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Acts 10, 34-35 Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Romans ten twelve to 13 For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And James 2.9 But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And Matthew 28.19-20 Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Amen in Yeshua's name. We're going to take a music moment and come back with Ruminations on Race, Part 2. Blessings and Grace.
Blessings and grace, and I'm back with Ruminations on Race, Part 2. We're going to delve into um, an even deeper part of this whole conversation, defining ethnicity and nationality. Some terms are often confused with race. So ethnicity refers to particular groups of people that share some common ancestry, traditions, language, or dialect. Before the world was made up of distinct nation-states or countries, certain pieces of land were associated with ethnic groups. For example, Anglo and Saxons, two separate groups are of England, the Maori of New Zealand, the Mayan of southern Mexico and Central America, the Greeks from Greece, the Maasai, the Great Rift Valley of East Africa, and Pueblo, New Mexico, as some countries were made up mostly of one ethnic group, people began to conclude that the nationality, the country which a person is a citizen of, was the same as ethnicity. Um, for example, a person from Denmark is a Dane or Danish, but more often the name of the country doesn't refer to the ethnic origins of its citizens. A person from Spain would be thought of as Spanish, although their ethnicity could be Basque, Catalan, Gallego, or Gitano. Many countries like Spain are actually made up of diverse ethnic groups. 
in the United States is a perfect example of this reality. Many people like to make ethnic distinctions as well as national distinctions to hold on to their ethnic culture and identity. Italian-American, ethnicity is Italian, and nationality is U.S. American, Mexican-American, Chinese-American. Of course, ethnicity becomes more confusing in the process of immigration and assimilation. As an example, we know that the case of China, there are many, many ethnicities and that diversity gets lost often in how people identify their ethnic identity to non-Chinese people here in the U.S. So although a Chinese American's specific ethnicity may be Han, Manchu, Yi, or another of the over 50 ethnicities in China, here in the United States, those differences get subsumed as just being Chinese. So what is this thing called race? Race is a false classification of people that is not based on any real or accurate biological or scientific truth. In other words, the distinction we make between races has nothing at all to do with scientific truth. Race is a political construction. A political construction is something created by people that is not a natural development, is constructed or created for a political purpose. The concept of race was created as a, as a classification of human beings with the purpose of giving power to white people and to legitimize the dominance of white people over non-white people. Now, during the Reformation, which is the 16th century, the 1500s, and the 17th century, the 1600s, a key question among Christian religious hierarchy was whether blacks and Indians had souls and or were human. Can you imagine? That was a key question. In this time period, Europeans were exposed more frequently to Africans and the indigenous people of North and South America, and the church vacillated between opinions. The Catholic and the Protestant churches arrived at different answers to the questions at different times, which created significant differences between the two systems of slavery. The two systems of slavery. The Catholic Church was the first to admit blacks and Indians had souls, which meant that many Catholic colonies it was against the law to kill a slave without reason. And the Protestant Calvinist church wanted to separate and distinguish themselves from Catholicism and therefore was much slower in recognizing the humanity of Africans and Indians. With the increasing importance of slavery, religion was used as a means to justify racist divisions classifying people of color as pagan and soulless. However, a substantial number of people of color were converted to Christianity, and as religion itself lost much of its power as a legitimizing agent, justifications for the brutality of slavery changed. The slave-based economy in the South necessitated a racist exploitative system which led to the development of biological, zoological, and botanical theories to explain human differences to justify slavery. 
In the 19th century, which is the 1800s, Europe, science, and social science developed as never before. And associations of scientists were created. Universities held conferences and debates and dialogue between researchers increased dramatically. In England, in the early 1800s, the ethnographic and anthropological societies were first established. Not only did the amount of scholars and thinkers multiply, they were an increasingly in conversation with each other and focusing on similar themes, such as what happened when races meet and mix. Africa, Asia, Australia, and the South Pacific were rapidly being colonized as European Americans were engaged in their colonial expansion, which brought them into brutal contact with Native Americans. As a result of colonization, Native people around the world were disappearing. In the most extreme cases found in Tasmania, an island south of Australia, in the late 18th and 19th centuries, um, Tasmanians were literally wiped off the face of the earth, while the Maori population of New Zealand was reduced by more than half in a period of a few decades. Their, their extinction was in large part to disease. European thinkers were fascinated by this, particularly due to the lack of understanding of the role of germs, viruses, and bacteria. So during the 19th century, Darwin published On the Origin of the Species in 1859, his book documenting the process of evolution, and Darwin believed in the natural order to the, to the development of the species, the weak die off and the strong survive. Although evolutionary theory is not racist, philosophers and social scientists used Darwin's theory in pseudoscientific ways to justify genocide and racism. This thinking was later called social Darwinism. Now, throughout the 16th, 17th, and 18th century, people used different terms to explain racial differences. The classification was well used for over 100 years. The classification lacks any obvious logic and defies scientific precepts. Two of the words, mongoloid and caucasoid, have have a linguistic basis that refer to geographic areas, but the last word, nigroid, refers to color. These were not based on genetic differences, but rather on European and European-American stereotypes of cultural differences and mismeasures of physiological characteristics. In 1866, Frederick Farrar lectured on the aptitude of races, which he divided into three groups, savage, which included all Africans, all indigenous people, people of color, with the exception of the Chinese, and semi-civilized, that include the Chinese, who were once civilized, but now their society was in an arrested development, and civilized, who included the European, Aryan, and Semitic peoples. Can you imagine? So we had the savage, the semi-civilized, and the civilized. Now during this time, there was also sterilization going on, and eugenics also promoted sterilization. A man by the name of Harry Lachlan promoted the model sterilization law in 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 Virginia, 
1914, the model eugenical sterilization law proposed the sterilization of socially inadequate people supported in institutions and maintained wholly or in part by public expense. The law encompassed the feeble-minded, insane, criminalistic, epileptic, inebriated, diseased, blind, deaf, deformed, and dependent, including orphan tramps, the homeless, and paupers. By 1914, 12 states passed the sterilization laws. Here in America, 12 states passed the sterilization laws. Clearly, eugenics in its conception and implementation involved an intersection of different kinds of oppressions, sexism, classism. But what constitutes the most successful and widespread eugenics program in the history of the United States and the most unknown targeted Puerto Rican women? Puerto Rican, God bless Puerto Rico. The U.S. government, the medical community, and local government of Puerto Rico sterilized one-third of Puerto Rican women from the 1930s to 1965. And this was done by a massive campaign of public miseducation and promotion, manipulation, and subsidizing the operation. Part of this was the result of racist and ignorant fears about overpopulation as well as United States industries wanting to encourage the development of cheap workforce of Puerto Rican women freed from child care for employment. This is an incredibly sad story, which is also incredibly well documented. Puerto Rican women, particularly in government housing projects, were also the guinea pigs for testing the contraceptive pill in 1956. These pills were 20 times stronger than pills on the market by the 1980s. 20 times stronger. They started this eugenics program over Stan in Puerto Rico. Now the current pseudoscience continues to be popular and it also influences policymakers. It's important to point out that the history lesson that similar racist scholarship is unfortunately alive and well today. Charles Murray and Richard Herrnstein in The Bell Curve, Intelligence and Class Structure in American Life, the 1990s bestseller. In The Bell Curve, they say, the high rates of poverty that affect certain segments of the population are determined by more intelligence, more by intelligence than by socioeconomic background. They call the poor the cognitive underclass, and they argue that the expanding inequities of our society, wealth distribution, success in school, access to good jobs are biologically determined. The bell curve naturalizes and excuses these inequities and turns them into inescapable symptoms of biological class fate, associating a cognitive underclass with every form of frowned upon social behavior from crime to teenage motherhood. So Charles Murray worked for the Manhattan Institute, a conservative think tank which supplied many of Mayor Giuliani's policies. Okay, a conservative think tank 
by this man that wrote this book, which supplied many of Mayor Giuliani's policies. And so this thinking justifies harsh welfare reform policies, the criminalization of poverty. Two million people are in jail in the U.S., one-fourth of the world's eight million total people are in jail in the United States, and argues that poverty is caused by genetic inferiority and restricts immigration, particularly of people of color, and conservatives pushing welfare reform are pushing welfare mothers to be temporarily sterilized with Norplant. Norplant, five-year family planning. Norplant, a temporary sterilization drug, employed racist stereotyping in the advertising and adopting the conservative message that welfare mothers should be temporarily sterilized. Now, the manifest destiny refers to the belief prevalent in the 1800s and much of the 1900s that it was the God-given destiny of white U.S. Americans to control and dominate the content, the continent, the acquisition of the Southwest. So in the 1830s, the Mexican government outlawed slavery and prohibited further immigration to Texas. So white United States Americans were outraged and continued to move into Texas and in 1836 fought against Mexican rule and eventually won. In 1830, the same year Mexico outlawed slavery, the Indian Removal Act was passed by the U.S. Congress that, is, that essentially allowed the seizing and removal of Indians from their ancestral and sacred lands, slaughtering thousands in the process. In 1845, Texas was annexed by the U.S., which led to continued border skirmishes with Mexico, and the U.S. military soon invaded Mexico, resulting in the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, in which Mexico ceded all of California, New Mexico, Nevada, parts of Colorado, Arizona, Arizona and Utah. So, Me so Mexicans have a saying, we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. When the treaty was signed, Mexican property was simply taken. One congressman wrote at the time, this continent was intended by Providence as a vast theater on which to work out the grand experiment of Republican government under the auspices of the Anglo-Saxon race under the auspices of the Anglo-Saxon race. Now, just as a side note, as a young girl growing up and I learned about the Anglo-Saxons and the term WASP, white Anglo-Saxon, I remember asking my teacher, well, why would you call them white Anglo-Saxons if it's a given? Are there other Anglo-Saxons besides white Anglo-Saxons? And my teacher at the time told me to do a research paper on it, in which I did which further proved that at the time Britain was predominated by people of color that that had brown skin in origin. And just recently on ABC News and Times and Newsweek, they just showed that the original Britons were brown. So this white Anglo-Saxon concept was a new precept. Just a side note. So this thing called white, the term white emerged as a classification of people during the 1700s in the British colonies of North America. Europeans were immigrating to the New World for many reasons, some seeking prosperity, 
while many people were just escaping persecution, particularly religious and ethnic conflict. As Europeans arrived in America, groups such as the Germans, Dutch, English, French were brought into close proximity, most of them for the first time. In the colonies, the European settlers in power were under considerable stress, attempting to maintain control of their African slaves and their white indentured servants while trying to protect themselves from the perceived threat from Native Americans. At this time, poor white indentured servants were building alliances and relationships with African slaves due to their similar state of oppression. Okay, at this time, the poor white indentured servants were building alliances and relationships with African slaves due to their similar state of oppression. The term white was was defined as anyone without a drop of African or Indian blood. The category white was created as a political construct that was used as an organizing tool to unite Europeans in order to consolidate strength, increasing their ability to maintain control and dominance over the Native Americans and the African slaves, which in many places outnumbered the Europeans. So whiteness is a constantly shifting boundary separating those who are enslaved to have certain privileges from those whose exploitation and vulnerability to violence is justified by their not being white. I mean, if you look back um, at old, you know, um, movies about civil rights and such, you see there was a time when the sign said, you know, no Irish, right? No Italians, no niggas. So when did the Italians and the Irish become white? Overstand. Okay? So white is an artificial construct because the definition of white changes due to time and geography. Not everybody has been considered white at the same time. Irish, Jews, Italians, for example, went through a process of becoming white. This was a process of assimilation that required certain cultural losses in order to gain white privilege and power. So some people who may have been considered white where they once lived in South America, for example, when they moved to the United States, they were considered Latino by white society. But just because race and whiteness are constructed doesn't mean that it doesn't fundamentally affect our world in real ways. I mean, for example, immigration between the 19th and 20th centuries, over 600 pieces, separate pieces, of anti-Asian legislation were passed, limiting Asians from citizenship. Non-citizens had almost no rights. Whites could kill Asians with impunity because they could not testify in court. In interracial marriage, eugenics provided a new set of arguments to support existing restrictions on interracial marriage. So by 1915, 28 states made a marriage between Negroes, Asians, Indians, Latinos, and white persons illegal. Illegal in 28 states by 1915. And six states included such prohibitions in their constitution. Virginia's Racial Integrity Act 
1924 stands out amongst these laws. This law included racial registration certificates as well as defining what white was. Within 10 years, similar laws were found in Nazi Germany, sorting citizens by their percentage of Jewish blood. Virginia's Racial Integrity Act was not successfully challenged and struck from the books until 1967. So the Racial Integrity Act in Virginia was in effect from 1924 until 1967. It took Alabama until November of 2000 to strike a law banning interracial marriage. That's how far it went. Okay, you had you had the laws banning the marriages to keep the racial integrity, to stop ones from blending the blood, right? And then you had eugenics and sterilization and Norplant going on. This has been an ongoing thing. And so the term people of color is not a term that refers to a real biological or scientific distinction between people. People of color in the U.S. share the common experience of being targeted and oppressed by racism. One of the ways racism operates is to keep people of color divided. It's to keep us divided. Many people only think about their specific ethnic or racial group when discussing oppression or the need to build political power. By using the term people of color, we begin to push people to think more broadly. We need to build relationships with other groups of color. The term people of color has movement building material. Has movement building material because it unites. It unites as opposed to separate. And so on this moment, I'm going to take a pause and come back next week with part three on racial ruminations. And hopefully this opens your eyes as to how this situation we find ourselves in came to be. And, and, and to know that we are all one race. We're all one race. It's only one color. And the color's melanin. And there's different shades in the spectrum of the color of melanin. I mean, the term divide and conquer is real. And as you can see, based on the history, it's accurate. Now we're going to take a music moment and come back with the go and gnosis. Blessings and grace. Are you trying to stop them from seeking peace of mind?
seem like some urban decoration Or just another smell that makes your day so hard You never think, you never thought About the fact that you stepped over life And rest on something made of stone Peace, words we speak so softly Open the 
trying to deny me Always I fight me Why they don't like me Anyway I just laid for them I and I come on a mission Unity you could arrest or Christian Burn all division Trample the system Tough like a iron bin Through the fire Cannot deny I will do what's required
Blessings and grace, and I'm back with the Go and Gnosis, your news infused with consciousness. First, I'm going to start off on TheRoot.com. Morning while black, priest calls cops on black funeral goers and tells them, get the hell out of church. Despite having ample evidence that Jesus will work it out, a Catholic priest halted a homegoing service in Maryland to have a black family removed from the church. The servant of God even kicked out the dead body out of the funeral home, proving once again that there is no sanctuary when it comes to racism. Aside from the fact that she was no longer alive, Agnes Hicks, Charlotte Hall's Maryland Mass was going along perfectly fine on Tuesday until an attendee of the funeral went in for a hug and accidentally knocked over a chalice at St. Mary's Catholic Church, angering Pastor Michael Brees. There'll be no funeral, no repast. Everyone get the hell out of my church, Breeze reportedly told the family. According to Fox 5, Breeze then kicked the family out of the place of worship, telling them to remove the body of the woman who wished to be laid to rest in the church where she was baptized. But Breeze wasn't done. Yea, though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, the priest feared no evil, but he was a little bit scared of black people. Instead of getting Jesus on the main line, Brees decided to call his Lord and Savior from all who white things flow, the police. After the police responded to the call, the officers determined that the family had nothing, had done nothing wrong and escorted the family to another church in a nearby county where they finished the service. Following the incident, the Archdiocese of Washington issued a statement saying, What occurred at St. Mary's Parish this morning does not reflect the Catholic Church's fundamental calling to respect and uplift the God-given dignity of every person, nor does that incident represent the pastoral approach the priests of the Archdiocese of Washington commit to undertake every day in their ministry. I beg to differ, as he is... One of your people preaching your ministry. Church officials said that they are still investigating the incident. I haven't checked the archives, but I'm sure the Catholic Church has a spotless record of handling priest wrongdoing. An organization of this size wouldn't have millions of followers if the church had a history of dismissing traumatic events. If you Googled Catholic priest scandal or Catholic church cover-up, I bet you won't get any results. Although the family says they're still upset by the event. The thing that gets me in this is when people say this does not represent, when it is a specific representation. Moving forward on collective-evolution.com. A scientist who studied safer alternative to traditional vaccines murdered in front of his children. The facts, 35-year-old Tristan Boudet, a scientist from Irvine, was recently murdered. He was in the process of making some important vaccine discoveries. And the question is, why are so many holistic doctors and those who are doing revolutionary research that could change our medicine disappearing?
Having researched vaccines for more than a decade, it's quite easy to see how the rhetoric we commonly hear from the mainstream is simply just not true. We are living in an age where hundreds, if not thousands of scientists are questioning the safety of multiple medications, including vaccines. A new study published in the journal EBO Medicine outlines this point, stating in the introduction, over the past two decades, several vaccine controversies have emerged in various countries, including France, including worries about severe adverse effects and eroding confidence in health authorities, experts in science. This is actually a big problem in science. It's a heavily sourced situation that ones need to check out. The science showing vaccines are safe is virtually non-existent, and there are a lot showing that they've been more harmful than, than we are aware of. The truth is, not all vaccines have been tested are completely safe. The reason con Congress exempted vaccine makers from liability, Congress exempted vaccine makers from liability in 1986 was that the vaccines were causing harm. Since the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Act went into effect, the federal government program has paid out $3.8 billion, billion would it be, $3.8 billion in vaccine injuries and death. It's no secret that more and more people are choosing not to vaccinate, and an increasing number of parents are doing the same. This has come with no short response from the mainstream, who seem to enjoy making appear stupid and making one feel and seem foolish for even questioning the safety of vaccines. Obviously, these people are growing in number and they're not stupid. In fact, they need to be applauded for putting their critical thinking caps on. The fact that a number of peer-reviewed scientific publications keep emerging and scientists continue to raise concerns at various international conferences held throughout the year don't worry, you're far from stupid and you're in a good company. It's odd how we are made to fear not vaccinating, not vaccinating our children, especially when the herd immunity hypothesis is constantly pushed. The problem with vaccines not only comes as a result of recent science, but multiple disclosures of scientific fraud and other eye-opening revelations with regard to those who we deem our health authorities. There are too many examples to count from. So according to the, the, the Free Thought Project, a tragic death has police searching for a killer and a motive in California this week as a beloved father was murdered early Friday morning while camping with his two daughters in Malibu, Malibu Creek State Park. The victim was identified as 35-year-old Tristan Boudet, a scientist from Irvine. Boudet had taken his two daughters, ages two and four, camping over the weekend, so his wife, who was a doctor, could study for an important exam. According to police, they responded to reports of gunfire around 4.44 a.m. at the campsite. The story was also picked up by the L.A. Times. It appears that the victim was camping at the site with family members and no other individuals were injured during the course of the shooting, police said. There was no suspect information and there was no known motive for the crime. According to his LinkedIn page, Boudet worked as a senior scientist for the pharmaceutical company Allergan, where he worked on pharmaceutical drug product development. 
He was a father and a reputable scientist who was inside of the pharmaceutical world for years after obtaining his Ph.D. in chemistry from Berkeley in 2005. He studied and worked extensively on research papers about vaccine. While at Berkeley, Boudet was a graduate student instructor and worked on several research projects that were focused on pharmaceuticals and vaccines, according to his LinkedIn profile. He wrote that he synthesized polychromamide and polycetyl and polysaccharide-based acid-degradable microparticles and used in vitro and in vivo techniques to characterize the ability to elicit cell-mediated immune responses for applications in vaccines and cancer therapy. He also wrote he developed methods for chemoselective particle functionalization for use in targeted drug and gene delivery and led a multidisciplinary team of chemists, immunologists, and biologists in an NIH-funded collaborative project involving the design of novel protein-based vaccine formulations while also composing multiple scientific research proposals presented and published graduate work at national conferences and peer-reviewed journals. And this is one of the examples of the almost close to 80 holistic doctors or doctors that were doing significant holistic scientific studies that, was, that have been murdered in the past two years. And moving forward on Newstarget.com, Betrayed, Whole Foods suspends GMO labeling promise, will continue selling unlabeled GMOs after five-year lie to its own customers. After being purchased by, by the globalist Jeff Bezos, Whole Foods, um, he also owns the Washington Post, by the way, and now owns Whole Foods Market, is now reversing five years of promises to consumers by suspending its genetically modified organism, GMO labeling promise. This means that Whole Foods will continue to sell unlabeled GMOs while fraudulently insinuating to customers that its stores sell no GMOs whatsoever. Back in 2012, when Whole Foods was desperately trying to quell customers' concerns over genetically engineered ingredients found in thousands of grocery items sold at Whole Foods market stores, Natural News released exclusive undercover video from the organic spies exposing how Whole Foods deliberately trained its employees to lie to customers about GMOs, with other groups like Organic Consumers Association joining the effort to expose Whole Food GMO deceptions. The grassroots outcry against Whole Foods was rapidly expanding, and the retailers scrambled to get in front of the GMO labeling issue to try to comfort customers. In early 2013, the retailer announced that it would adopt a full transparency GMO labeling policy by 2018. This March 8, 2013 press release from Whole Foods claimed by 2018, all products in its United States and Canadian stores must be labeled to indicate if they contain genetically modified organisms, GMOs. Whole Foods Market is the first national grocery chain to set a deadline for full GMO transparency. We are putting a stake in the ground on GMO labeling to support the consumer's right to know. Whole Foods Market CEO Walter Robb said this in 2013, but in reality, the fraudulent corporation systematically moved to put a stake through the heart of GMO labeling. 
all while deceiving its own customers for the last five years by pretending it would require clear, transparent GMO labeling on all products sold at its stores. That promise has now been exposed as not just a heinous lie, but a horrible portrayal of its customer base. Whole Foods is pulling back on its plan to require GMO labeling for all foods in stores by September, AgWeb reported earlier this week. The article referenced a new weasel letter sent to suppliers to Whole Foods describing how the food retailer is quietly trying to weasel out of its commitment to its customers. As the USDA finalizes the federal regulation in the coming months and the food industry assesses the impact, we do not want our policy to pose further challenges for you and your businesses, the letter stated, as reported by AgWeb. The same letter promises further updates and timelines, but clearly betrays the 2013 announcement of full transparency from Whole Foods. In just five years, in other words, Whole Foods has gone from full transparency to will let the USDA and Monsanto cabal tell us what to do. This is no surprise given that in 2016, Whole Foods was caught lying to its own customers about its strong support for the Monsanto-pushed GMO fake labeling bill in the U.S. Senate. Whole Foods, in other words, has been cozying up to Monsanto for years. So now it's up to you, the consumer, to do your due diligence on all corporations that you, that you decide to bring into your kitchen. And on realpharmacy.com, these new GMOs are flooding the natural market, and here's how to avoid them. A new type of genetically modified product is now being slipped into your food, cosmetics, and more. Many products containing the new genetically modified ingredients are being marketed as made without GMOs and natural, although they're anything but. Luckily, a cutting-edge list has been compiled, which shows consumers exactly which products contain these new GMO ingredients. The master list of products to avoid can be assessed at this address, database.synbiowatch.org. That's database.synbiowatch.org. Database.synbiowatch.org database.synbiowatch.org. It's a searchable guide to ingredients produced using next-generation genetic engineering. And it gives you a complete breakdown on how to use the database and what the GMO 2.0s are. It's been more than 25 years since the first genetically modified organisms appeared in the food we eat. Today, a next generation of GMOs have emerged and created through more advanced techniques referred to as synthetic biology, SynBio, or GMO 2.0. Synthetic biologists employ techniques that allow them to more significantly redesign the genetic makeup of living organisms through constructing, adding, deleting, silencing, or completely rewriting DNA and other genetic elements. They include, but not limited to, DNA synthesis, genome editing, RNA interference, directed evolution, and metabolic engineering. GMO 2.0 ingredients are found in food, feed, cosmetics, fragrances, supplements, and more. 
So this searchable database of GMO 2.0 ingredients, it includes ingredients that are already on the market, that are close to the market, or that are under development. The information here was compiled through six months of research and will be updated as new ingredients or information emerges. So why is this database important? Public, op public opposition to GMO 2.0 is growing. However, the industries using GMO 2.0 are very opaque and it is difficult to determine where GMO 2.0 ingredients are found. This database was developed as an educational resource for consumers, policymakers, and manufacturers of consumer products to shed light on how widely synthetic biology techniques are being used to make everyday ingredients. So again, that is database.synbiowatch.org to check out the ingredients that you're ingesting or putting on your face or feeding to your animals or to your plants. Just in general, it's better to be safe than sorry later. And moving forward onto the New York Times.com, Trump officials reverse Obama's policy on affirmative action in schools. The Trump administration has reversed an Obama era policy that urged universities to consider race as a factor in admissions. The Trump administration said Tuesday that it was abandoning Obama administration policies that called on universities to consider race as a factor in diversifying their campuses, signaling that the administration will champion race-blind admission standards. In a joint letter, the Education and Justice Departments announced that they have rescinded seven Obama-era policy guidelines on affirmative action, which the department said advocate policy preferences and positions beyond the requirements of the Constitution. The executive branch cannot circumvent Congress or the courts by creating guidance that goes beyond the law and in some instances stays on the books for decades, said Devin M. O'Malley, a Justice Department spokesman. Striking a softer tone, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos wrote in a separate statement, the Supreme Court has determined what affirmative action policies are constitutional and the court's written decisions are the best guide for navigating this complex issue. Schools should continue to offer equal opportunities for all students while abiding the law. The Trump administration move comes with affirmative action at a crossroads. Hardliners in the justice and education departments are moving against any use of race as a measurement of diversity in education. And the retirement of Justice Anthony M. Kennedy at the end of this month will leave the Supreme Court without its swing vote on affirmative action while allowing President Trump to nominate a justice opposed to policies that for decades have tried to integrate elite educational institutions. A highly anticipated case is pitting Harvard against Asian American students who say one of the nation's most prestigious institutions has systematically excluded some Asian American applicants to maintain slots for students of other races. That case is clearly aimed at the Supreme Court. This whole issue of using race in education is being looked at with a new eye in light of the fact that it's not just white students being discriminated against, but Asians and others as well, said Roger Clegg, the president and general counsel of the Conservative Center of Equal Opportunity. 
as the demographics of the country change, it becomes more and more problematic. Democrats and civil rights organizations denounced the administration's decision. Representative Nancy Pelosi of California, the House Democratic leader, said the rollback of vital affirmative action guidance offends our nation's values and called it yet another clear Trump administration attack on communities of color. Guidance documents like those rescinded on Tuesday do not have the force of law, but they amount to the official view of the federal government. School officials who keep their race-conscious admission policies intact would do so knowing that they could face a Justice Department education or lawsuit or lose funding from the Education Department. The Obama administration believed that students benefited from being surrounded by diverse classmates. So in 2011, the administration offered schools a potential roadmap to establishing affirmative action policies and race-based considerations that could withstand legal scrutiny from an increasingly skeptical Supreme Court. In a pair of policy and guidance documents issued in 2011, the Obama Education and Justice Department informed elementary and secondary schools and college campuses of the compelling interests established by the Supreme Court to achieve diversity. They concluded that the court has made clear such steps can include taking into account the race of the individual students in narrowly tailored manner. But Trump Justice Department officials identified those documents as particularly problematic and full of hypotheticals intended to allow schools to skirt the law. The Trump administration's decision returned the government's policies to the George W. Bush era. Has returned the government's policies to the George W. Bush era. The administration did not formally reissue the Bush era guidance, but in recent days did repost a Bush administration affirmative action policy document online. And that document states that the Department of Education strongly encourages the use of race-neutral methods for assigning students to elementary and secondary schools. For several years, that document had been replaced by a note declaring that the policy had been withdrawn. As the implications for affirmative action for college admissions play out in court, it's unclear what the decision holds for elementary and secondary schools. New York City is embroiled in a debate about whether to change its entrance standard, currently a single test, for its most prestigious high schools to allow for more black and Latino students. So they are reversing policies as everyone is distracted. Overstand. We're going to take a music moment and come back with technology. Blessings and grace.
them can't take my soul, you know?
Your stuff 
and grace and I'm back with technology starting first on eurekaalert.org material could help windows both power your home and control its temperature environmentally friendly building trends have boosted the popularity of window coatings that keep heating and cooling costs down by blocking out unneeded parts of sunlight they also inspired scientists and engineers to create thin see-through solar cells to turn windows into miniature electricity generators. Researchers in China have gone a step further and combined these two functions into one window-compatible material that could double the energy efficiency of an average household. Their work appears in the July 3rd in the journal Joulet. Building integrated photovoltaics are a great example of a market where silicone photovoltaics despite their cheapness and performance, are not the most appropriate due to their dull appearance and heaviness, said senior author Hen Lap Yip, a professor of material science and engineering at the South China University of Technology. Instead, we can make organic photovoltaics into semi-transparent, lightweight, and colorful films that are perfect for turning windows into electricity generators and heat insulators. To construct prototype-capable of simultaneously outputting electricity and preventing excessive heating. The researchers, who additionally led by Fei Hang, also a South China University of Technology material science professor, needed to perform a three-way balancing act between harvesting light for electricity generation, blocking it for heat insulation, and transmitting it as a window normally would, mixing and matching from among materials and chemical compounds previously proposed for these different purposes. They put together a device that let familiar visible portions of sunlight through, turned back the infrared light, a major heating culprit, and converted the near-infrared region in between into electric current. Back-of-the-envelope calculations suggest that in theory, installing windows outfitted with dual electricity generating and heat insulating properties could cut an average household's reliance on external electric sources by over 50%. Although that estimate assumes that every square inch of every window would be paneled with multifunctional solar cells, it only requires a slight uptick in power conversion performance from the 6.5% figure realized by Yip Hang and their colleagues. For this demonstration, we are not even using the best organic photovoltaics that are out there in this field. 
their efficiency is improving rapidly, and we expect to be able to continuously improve the, the performance of this unified solar window film, Yip says. These dual-function materials are still very much in their infancy, but the author expects them to pave the way to a new beneficial technologies, making heat-insulating multifunctional semi-transparent polymer solar cells is just the beginning of exploring new applications of organic photovoltaic ship says a version tailored for self-powered greenhouses is only one of the many impactful products that we want to develop in the future this work is supported by the natural science foundation of china the ministry of science and technology in china and the science technology program of guangzhou china i think that's a great idea of windows that can help both power your home and control its temperature. And on alizilla.com, Alibaba debuts AI copywriter. Alibaba's digital marketing arm, Alimama, has unveiled an artificial intelligence-powered copywriting tool, tapping the huge pool of content on Alibaba's e-commerce sites, Tmall and Taobao. The AI copywriter uses deep learning and natural language processing technologies learned from millions of top quality existing examples to generate copy for products. Brands and advertisers can insert a link to any product page and click the Produce Smart Copy button to see multiple copy ideas. Currently, the technology has passed the Turing test and is capable of producing 20,000 lines of copy in a second, said Ali Mama. It said brands using the new tool, such as fashion chain Esprit and Texas-born clothing brand Dickies, can adjust the length and tone of their copy, such as dictating whether they want the tone to be promotional, functional, fun, poetic, or heartwarming. The tool is used on average nearly a million times per day by merchants and marketers on Alibaba-owned sites, such as Taobao, Tmall, May.com, a fashion flash web website, and 1688.com, Alibaba's Chinese language wholesale buying site. For merchants from today onwards, AI can take care of a portion of their copywriting needs, and it significantly changes the way copywriters work. They will shift from thinking up copy, one line at a time, to choosing the best out of many machine-generated options, largely improving efficiency, Ali Mama said in a statement. All the content produced by the AI copywriter is, is a result of applying deep learning models trained with large volumes of quality content created by humans. Human creativity is the cornerstone for the machine, which isn't able to replace the creativity of people, said Christina Liu, manager of Alamama Marketing. AI for marketing allows people to devote more energy to richly creative work. So now some of this copy that you read was generated by artificial intelligence. And on Forbes.com, the champions of crypto, who are the titans driving mainstream adoption? It wasn't long ago that Bitcoin was still magic internet money for nerds. Crypto has evolved since then into a full-fledged blockchain ecosystem. Projects are innovating at the protocol level, allowing for immutable, permissionless, transparent, censorship-resistant transactions while doing away for the need for trusted intermediaries. 
this powerful combination of technology has given idealists and supporters of freedom a new hope across the entire globe. However, the proliferation of ICOs, internet initial coin offerings, hype has enabled some company founders to pick a quick white paper setting out of details of their fundraising for quick money grab and investors to find the next flip. People want to make money after all. The true champions of crypto are not in it for financial gain. They're driven by the impact this world will have with mainstream adoption of crypto. The people highlighted are only of only a handful of titans who, who are in the trenches every day helping the industry to grow. They embody decentralization and it's not uncommon for them to make their way around the world, kickstarting the movement wherever they go. Here are just a few highlights. In Zhang Peng Zhao of Binance launches Uganda Exchange and the $1 billion fund. Binance just launched their crypto fiat Uganda Exchange on June 28th. You might ask why Uganda? The revenue will be much higher in established markets. Binance's mission is to spread the adoption of crypto to the masses. CZ says, Uganda is much less developed financial economy. To get crypto adopted in a country where only 11% of the population has a bank account will take years of painstaking drive. You have to educate users, build the economy, and essentially build everything from scratch. In terms of economic development, the company wants to create jobs for 5,000 people in five years, time with long-term ambition of creating 50,000 jobs there for the industry. CZ goes on to say, I want to help Africa grow. I want to help South America grow. I want to help Asia grow. I want to help other human beings, but I can only do my little bit to help. I strongly believe that crypto will make a massive positive impact on people's lives. Scaling the way by Binance invests resources throughout the world is, is not an easy task. That's why they launched the Binance Lab $1 billion fund to invest in building out the infrastructure of blockchain and see applications with real users, cases being built. They want to help the industry become bigger by helping young companies all over the world get off the ground. Binance believes this is the right thing to do as a company even if the return on investment calculation is not clear. They are an organization with a lot of influence and their responsibility as a leader in the industry is not taken lightly. Clearly, that's still not doing enough as they also have a separate Binance Charity Foundation. They've already decided to donate a few projects in Africa and ask that these charities be 100% transparent, recording everything on blockchain. Doing so spreads the awareness of crypto and educates the masses. Binance will cover all the administration fees, and this has attracted the attention of many governments that have reached out to work with the company. And Mike Hagen of Mainframe goes on a world airdrop tour and donates 1,000 Ethereum to the Freedom of Press Foundation. Mainframe provides censorship-resistant messaging. They stand for freedom and privacy for the entire world. One should be able to say what they want, and no central body will be able to control that. And they have traveled the world to get close to the community, holding their infamous airdrop events. They are currently doing a global airdrop in preparation of their token distribution on the 4th of July. But what really impressed me with this team was their 
World Airdrop Tour. They went to great lengths to drive mainstream adoption of the decentralized movement. The CEO of Mainframe, Mike Hagan, says, It amazes me how people are willing to travel from all over the world to attend one of our events. One lady flew in from China to Warsaw. One group drove for 25 hours too, and they followed us all throughout Europe. Mainframe did real physical airdrops of their tokens. They traveled all around the world, Hong Kong, Warsaw, Shanghai, Zug, Beijing, Paris, Tokyo, London, Seoul, Amsterdam, New York, Berlin, to meet their community. Believers and supporters showed up in droves. Lines were out the door. Balloons fell out the sky. They gave away $3 million. But most important of all, they were able to mobilize people physically and get supporters of freedom and privacy to meet each other. For true mainstream adoption of a protocol like that, this is what needed to happen. The mission that Mick and the team are on is going to be grueling, but they are fearless. They held an airdrop event in China where the government is known to censor WeChat messages. One may think governments wouldn't like censorship-resistant messaging, but one government in the Middle East is going to pilot the mainframe protocol. To really scale this out, mainframe can't do this alone. They donated 1,000 Ether to Freedom of the Press Foundation, McHagan says. The mainframe team is thrilled to be supporting an organization whose work we all deeply believe in. Our community is committed to the protection of freedom, privacy, and digital security, and we are proud to support their mission beyond the contributions being made today. This speeds up the research and adoption of decentralized technology for combating censorship and promoting security. Bitlock Buterain of Ethereum provides scalability research grants and advises the community fund. Bitlock understands that at a technical level, scalability is the single most important challenge that needs to be solved under for blockchain applications to reach mass adoption. This crypto titan knows the fastest path to overcome this hurdle is to partner with the worldwide community. The Ethereum Scalability Research and Development Program that was announced in late January will provide grants of $50,000 to $1 million to groups around the world on two strategies to scaling. Sharding which requires a small percentage of nodes to see and process every transaction, and off-chain, transactions only interact with the underlying blockchain and when needed. Solutions. Vitalock wants to support a multi-pronged strategy toward Ethereum scalability. Scalability is just the first step to mainstream adoption. We, st we still need to build out the open source infrastructure, tools and applications of the decentralized internet. The Ethereum Community Fund, advised by Vitalock, has a global mission to support that by providing grants between 50000 to 500000 over $100 million in fiat, Ether, to other tokens were raised for the fund. Ethereum knows how to serve its global community of developers and ecosystem builders. Their popular conference, DevCon, will take place this year in Prague. They've come a long way from starting as a small gathering in Berlin in 2014 and growing to 2,000 strong in Cancun last year. The brightest developers from all over the world come together to connect, learn, and share what they're building to make the word better with crypto. At a time when so many suits are entering the industry, it's awe-inspiring to see founders with huge ambitions to do good for people of this world. And we can talk about the ICO hype all we want, but underneath the noise, there are true champions of crypto driving mainstream adoption. 
people who are building out the infrastructure and technology to benefit humanity. We're going to take a music moment and come back with Herbnology. Blessings and grace. Calamity, uh, what are we fighting for? 
won the war It's a fight against ourselves Mental elevation, forget about the wealth, yeah Fighting for liberty How do we find peace and unity? But not frustration And hold the meditation Fighting for liberty How do we find peace and unity? But not frustration And hold the meditation Gone are the fathers and lost are the daughters Gels and drugs is the root to the problem Open up the mind and then we can solve them Stop competing, come together for a cause And the ones who are lost shall be the first And the meek will inherit the earth Up and out the highest region That is our origin, fighting for liberty How do we find peace and unity? But no frustration Up for your life. First, we have to come together and unite. The only solution is unification. Stop fighting each other with brothers and sisters. Same ancestor lineage. Remember who built the pyramids. Revolution. Oh, we need a revolution. Fighting for liberty. How do we find peace and unity? But not frustration. Focus on repatriation What does it mean to be free When you have to pay for your destiny When you have to pay for your
Blessings and grace, and I'm back with Herbnology. Today I'm going to talk about the benefits of mulberries. The health benefits of mulberries include their ability to improve digestion, lower cholesterol, aid in weight loss, increase circulation, build bone tissue, and boost the immune system. The fruit also helps prevent certain cancers, slow down the aging process, lower blood pressure, protect eyes, and improve the overall metabolism of the body. Mulberries are sweet hanging fruits from a genus of deciduous trees that grow in a variety of temperates around the world. Thought to possibly have originated in China, they have spread throughout the world and are highly praised for their unique flavor and impressive composition of nutrients. The sweet or tart flavor makes these berries ideal for sherbets, jams, jellies, fruit tarts, pies, wines, teas, and cordials. In certain areas of the world, the flavor of mulberry varieties differ, but the American mulberry and the black mulberry are considered to have the most powerful flavor and are widely sought after. It aids in digestion. Like the majority of fruit and vegetables, mulberries contain dietary fiber, which makes approximately 10% of your daily requirements in a single serving. Dietary fiber can help to improve digestion by bulking up a stool, thereby speeding up the movement of the food through the digestive tract, while also reducing occurrences of constipation, bloating, and cramping. Furthermore, Fiber helps to regulate cholesterol levels and can improve heart health when regularly added to the diet. It increases circulation. The high levels of iron content in mulberries can significantly boost the production of red blood cells. This means that the body will increase its distribution of oxygen to important tissues and organs, thereby helping to boost metabolism and optimize the functionality of those systems. It regulates blood pressure. Reservatrol is a very important flavonoid that directly affects the functioning of certain mechanisms in blood vessels, primarily making them less prone to damage by angiotensin, which can cause blood vessel constriction. In fact, Reservatrol increases the production of nitric oxide, 
which is also a vasodilator. This means that it relaxes blood vessels and reduces the chances of blood clot formation and subsequent heart issues like strokes or heart attacks. Reservatrol is found in many dark-skinned berries, like mulberries, including most grapes, which is why this beneficial antioxidant is also found in wine. It prevents cancer. Between the high content of anthocyanins, vitamin C, vitamin A, and various other polyphenolic and phytonutrient compounds, mulberries are also packed with antioxidants. Antioxidants are the main line of defense against free radicals, which form a dangerous byproduct of cellular metabolism and can damage healthy cells, causing them to mutate into cancerous ones. The diverse range of antioxidants found in mulberries means that they can neutralize these free radicals quickly before too much damage is done. It improves vision. One of the carotenoids found in mulberries is zeaxanthin which has been connected directly to the reduction of oxidative stress on certain ocular cells, including the retinal macula lutea. Furthermore, zeaxanthin functions as an antioxidant and prevents certain damage to the retina, reducing the free radicals that can cause macular degeneration and cataracts. It's anti-inflammatory. Research shows that mulberry leaves have anti-inflammatory properties which can cut off body's inflammatory response to chronic diseases. The study shows that mulberry leaf tea can be used to reduce inflammatory pain. It boosts immunity. Vitamin C is a powerful defense weapon against any illness or foreign pathogen in the body that antioxidants don't take care of. A single serving of mulberries is almost the entire requirement of vitamin C for the day. But combine that with the minerals and vitamins present in this fruit and you have a true weapon against illness. Add a few mulberries to your morning meal and watch your immune system soar. So again, the benefits of mulberry prevents macular degeneration and cataracts. It's rich in antioxidant properties. It aids in preventing cancer. It boosts the immune system, improves digestive health. It boosts heart health and body metabolism and reduces the appearance of blemishes in aid spots. It builds healthy bones, reduces bad cholesterol, prevents premature aging. So pick up some mulberry leaf tea and some mulberries and enjoy the benefits of nutritional value that's provided by the nature of the Most High. We're going to take a music moment and come back with the metaphysics of the moment. Blessings and grace. Surrender. I'm gonna fight to 
a stone The Philistine by Samson with the donkey chapel The moral it's not impossible to do it left alone On the battleground when you must hold your own Never fear no one Resilient, warriors militant Cognizant that the man is the master of his decision What's asked or shall be given the universe bring fruition Regardless of your situation No retreat, no surrender I'm gonna fight to the very last breath No retreat, no surrender I'm gonna fight to the very last breath Every essence, every fiber of my being Every breath in LXL produced an opportunity To make you soon today, tomorrow is no guarantee In the present moments I see destinies Defined by deeds, can't so can Worry please, my people better be wise and not weak Stop going through this system, keeping wealthy The elites while in the ghetto youths are so far fit for them can't find no source of power. Empress Sativa representing alongside Juna Mervyn.
It is time you open up that metaphysical grave that had been dug for you, the part of you, the spark that lays buried. That is what's going to open you up. That's what's going to give you the ability to escape. Escape your metaphysical mind. Blessings and grace and welcome to the metaphysics of the moment. We're going to start off with the metaphysical meaning of blood. Blood expresses a spiritual principle that has been introduced into the race mind through the purified Jesus. It is a spiritual principle in it that it rests on pure ideals, yet it is manifested in mind and body in concrete form when rightly appropriated. That it can be appropriated and used to the purification of the mind and the healing of the body, thousands are proving in this day. Through his experience on the cross, where his precious blood was spilled through his suffering there, Yeshua lowered his consciousness to the consciousness of the race, thereby administering to the whole race a blood transfusion, imparting to man the properties of being that will restore him to his divine estate. Such a transfusion not only revives us and temporal ills, but begins in the body a purifying and energizing process that will finally save us from death. The blood of Christ, the life contained in God's word, therefore it is a spiritual energy that purifies and redeems man by pouring into his life currents a new and purer stream. This divine energy cleanses the consciousness of dead works to enable man to serve the living God. The blood of Jesus, that which represents the principle of eternal life. Yeshua raised the life activity of his blood and revealed its spiritual potency. In this respect, it became part of the spiritual life of the race and is thus accessible to all persons. It is after this manner that we drank his blood. Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have not life in yourselves. John 6.53 The blood of the Lamb, the innocent, undefiled life, or the primal life of being, which Yeshua made accessible to all those who believe in him as a revealer of the pure life of God the Father. These are they that came out of the great tribulation, and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7.14 And Jordan. Jordan means the, the descender, the descending one, the south-flowing, flowing down abundantly, dispenser from above, flowing river of judgment, the largest and most noted river in Palestine, Genesis 13.10, 32.10, Joshua 3.17, and Matthew 3.6. Metaphysically, Jordan is, there is a stream of thought constantly flowing through the subconsciousness, the south-flowing, made up of thoughts, good, bad, and indifferent, which is typified in Scripture by the River Jordan. In other words, it is the life flow of thought through the organism from head to feet. In man's ignorant and unredeemed state, it is muddy with sense concepts and turbulent with materiality. This thought stream has to be crossed before the children of Israel can go over into the promised land, before the true, real thoughts of the organism can enter into the divine substance and life in the subconsciousness. 
This stream of thought is also known as the adverse mind or adversary. When the adverse thought is removed, it expresses as the life current. As the life current, adverse mind has spread itself over the underlying God consciousness and has damned the free flow of divine energies in man, cutting off the divine expression. This adverse consciousness disturbs man as long as he believes in the presence or power of evil. The sooner the student of truth comes to the conclusion that the subconscious realm of mind, which he is most concerned in bringing to light, is under control of divine mind, the more quickly will he set into activity in the body the inherent qualities of spirit, and the sooner he will bear the fruits of the spirit in his flesh. Substance awaits the demands of the I am man and shapes itself according to the play of thoughts and words upon it as man consciously masters erroneous ideas which suggest themselves from the external he masters like ideas in consciousness which has been the attracting magnet that drew the external experience to him. He clarifies his heart of the adverse thought until he comes to dwell in the poise and mastery of the Christ self, being master of ideas and their manifestation. The Jordan, the flowing of judgment, can also be said to represent that place in consciousness where we are willing to meet the results of our thoughts face to face. When the divine law has been established in the consciousness and the spirit of wisdom, is recognized as the minister of the law, we understandingly and courageously pass judgment on all thoughts. We command the sense thoughts, the waters, to stand still afar off, to recede from the consciousness that the Israelites, which are the positive thoughts of truth, may pass over, stand in time of judgment, and come into possession of the promised land, realization of divine substance, the foundation of the new Christ body. In 2 Kings 2.13 and 14, the Jordan represents the universal race thought that flows through man's subjective mind. Overcoming the limitations of race thought comes through positive I am affirmations of the presence of God and his power to accomplish whatsoever is desired. In the healing of, Na of Namam, in 2 Kings 5, the Jordan represents the life current. Naman, which is will, will command what's commanded to wash in the Jordan, the life stream, because as man's spiritual perception, the little Israelite maiden reveals to him the realities of life. He is convinced of the need of cleansing the personal will. The spiritual I am, Elisha, commands the denial of material beliefs and limitations. When the will is under the direction of spirit, the mind and the body express their natural purity and perfection. Seven is the number of completeness in the natural world or in the body consciousness. The command to, to Naman was to wash in the Jordan seven times, meaning that one must continue to bathe in this inner life stream until the body is wholly purified and completely healed. And the Red Sea. The metaphysical meaning of the Red Sea is a long, narrow sea that lies between Asia and Africa, mentioned in Joshua 24.6. It is called the sea in most places in the Bible wherein it is mentioned. It was through this sea that the Israelites passed on dry land 
while the Egyptians who followed were drowned in Exodus 14.2-28. Metaphysically, a fixed sea of universal thought that has become part of the very world in which we live, we find as the race belief in life separate from God. And it has taken up its abode in the sense man and forms a part of his physical existence. The human concept that the life in the body is mortal must be set aside and the God dominion declared. There is but one life, God. There is a universal life force which moves upon a universal substance. This combination of life and substance is the matrix in which all mind force works. Symbolically, it is the Red Sea or Life Sea. Human thoughts, which form part of the race consciousness, have impregnated this sea. The Red Sea represents the sum of all the thoughts about life with, with, with which the race has impregnated the universal ether. In the mythology of the Greeks and the Romans, this is symbolized by the river Styx, over which souls were ferried by, ferried by Charon. It is familiar to metaphysicians as the psychic realm or race thought which has to be overcome by the progressive soul. It has to be overcome. And the metaphysical meaning of mortal, mortal beliefs, belief in sickness, sin, poverty, trouble, accident, and death, which are prevalent in the race mind, and mortal consciousness, consciousness of self as separate from God. This is a false consciousness. Consciousness must harmonize with God mind to be free from thoughts of poverty, sin, sickness, and death. And the mortal ego, the identification of the I am with the whole array of false race and individual mental patterns. And the mortal plane is the realm of ideas conceived in mortal and material consciousness and mortal words, words spoken by the intellectual man. They are empty because they lack the life and substance necessary to impart spiritual life and nourishment to the mind. And Caphatorum. Caphatorum is in Chronicles one twelve. It means converters or convert. The inhabitants of Kaftor, Genesis 10.14, they are supposed to have been Egyptians who were descended from Mizraim, the son of Ham, and of the same race as the Philistines. Metaphysically, it means changing, growing, unfolding thoughts that belong to the seemingly physical in man. And old, metaphysically, old age is a false belief deeply embedded in the race mind. It accepts biological law as the ultimate for man instead of the law of God, which is eternal life in the body. And law, metaphysically, law is the faculty of the mind that holds every thought and acts strictly to the truth of being, regardless of circumstances or environment, Law is a mathematical faculty. It places first things first. Laws of mind are just as exact as the undeviating as the laws of mathematics. To recognize this is the starting point to finding God. Man does not make the law. The law is and was established for our benefit before the world was formed. Back of the judge is the law out of which he reads. Laws whether natural or artificial, 
are but the evidence of an unseen power. The development of man is under law. Creative mind is not only law, but governed by the action of the law that it sets up. We have thought that man was brought forth under the fiat or the edict of the great creative mind that can make or unmake at will or change its mind and declare a new law at any time. But a clear understanding of ourselves and of the unchangeableness of the divine mind makes us realize that everything has its foundation in a rule of action, a law, that must be observed by both creator and created. The law, all-providing God, is the all-providing law. He is the spiritual substance out of which is made everything the race needs. The Father who supplies all his children bountifully out of his own abundance. God is mind. Man, the offspring of God, is mind. To know the law of God, man must adjust his mind to God-mind. Man must adjust his mind to God-mind. The first step in applying this law is the recognition of it as truth. Unless God is known as the source of all supply, men look to the material world for support. This violates the law and breaks the connection with the one source of all good. Divine law is the orderly working out of principles of being or the divine ideals into expression and manifestation throughout creation. Man, by keeping the law of right thought, works in perfect harmony with divine law and thus paves his way into spiritual consciousness. Divine law cannot be broken. It holds man responsible for the results of his labor. It is revealed to the mind of man through his consciously thinking on spiritually on spiritual ideas. The law that Moses laid down for the children of Israel was one of denial and affirmation, principally denial. The law that Yeshua gave was one of affirmation and love. So in taking control of the forces within, keep on the affirmative side. Let the preponderance of your thought be positive. Do not spend much time saying, I am not. You may find it helpful sometimes to say, I am not afraid. But more often you should say, I am bold, I am fearless, I am courageous. An evolutionary law, the upward trend of all things, in the individual, the rising of man from sense consciousness to spiritual consciousness. This law is set into action by our thinking and is continually supported by our thoughts. And generic law, the law that operates in each group, that from which anything springs, the germ seed that brings forth after its kind. And mortal law, the law of limitation that man has made for himself. And natural law, the law of seed, civilization, and harvest that natural man is subject to for the provision of his wants. And the law of attraction, the law that all conditions and circumstances and affairs and body are attracted to us accord with the thoughts we hold steadily in consciousness. And the law of infinite expression, the principle of never ceasing growth and development toward the fulfillment of God's perfect idea that is firmly fixed in all creation. And the law of righteousness, the law of spiritual and mental growth that is raising man from sense consciousness to spiritual consciousness. The nature of the universe is purity and goodness. By abiding in the Christ consciousness, man aligns himself with this divine law. He becomes the light of the world. Matthew 5.14 
and rainbow. The metaphysical meaning of rainbow. The rainbow as a token of covenant between me and the earth. Genesis 9, 13-15 involves the law of obedience, Noah. The rainbow is formed of many drops of water, each of which acts as a prism receiving and transmitting the sunlight. Each drop represents a human being and the whole of the race. The seven colors of the solar spectrum are produced by different rates of vibration and a universal energy. The seven colors of the solar spectrum are produced by different rates of vibration and a universal energy, which in its myriad activities makes it the visible universe. When man is like Noah, obedient to the guidance of God, he will never be flooded by negative conditions. And when the whole race enters into this obedience, the perfect principles will be forever established. The rainbow is a sign of the state in which we all shall form, with our obedient minds, a circle of natural perfection. A circle of natural perfection in Yeshua's name. Let that grace be bestowed upon this earth. We're going to take a music moment. Blessings and grace.
Blessings and grace. I'd like to thank you for joining me for another offering of Women Wednesday. I'd like to show love to the frequency that accompanies the music. That was just Tamika Moore, Every Word, Esperanza, The Time Is Now, Eric Lau, Supreme Elevation, Sun Ra, Godspell, Yusef Kamal, Strings of Light, Hemptress Sativa featuring Junior Mervin, No Retreat, No Surrender, F Soul Greens, Kings, Moringa Powder, Ayata Safari, Fighting for Liberty, Diggs Duke, Water for Sale, Dan Key, Like You Wanna, Atanya, Roots, Tall Black Guy, Franklin Black, Gifted People, Tough Like Iron, Black Roots Rhythm, 30 Over 70, Breaking for This World to Change, Diggs Duke, He Wants to Live Just Like You. Bob Marley, Chances Are, Red Astaire Redub, Sonziera, The Mystery of Man, Earthology, The Whitefield Brothers featuring Bajaka, Sirach, The First Mother, Ja Nine, Prosper. Remember that you are water. Cry, cleanse, flow. Remember that you are fire. Burn, tame, ignite. Remember that you are air. Be still, focus, decide. Remember that you are earth. Ground, build, and give. Blessings, grace, love, and strength to all.
Oh, 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 oh,